Welcome to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Casperson. There she is. Hey, there we go. Hi, Dr. Gasperson. Hi. Sorry about that. Oh, no worries. It's just like lost in my email, you know? No, I know. Um, And uh, yeah, it took me a minute to get get it as well. It's so nice to see your face again. Nice to see you. It's been so long. It's been so long, but I I, I love uh, watching and listening to you as always. And, um, you know, just keeps getting better and better, doesn't it? It does keep getting better and better. And I'm, I'm uh, thrilled that you could carve out time to speak with us again. Totally happy to. Yes. Thank you. Um, So let me just welcome you uh, a board certified urologist in Washington state, Dr. Kelly Casperson. You are also an author and a podcaster of uh, both have the same title. You are not broken. And, um, you know, I was thinking about, uh, first of all, let me just say most of the questions that we have tonight have come from, um, either my DMS people who certainly have to already know you and, and be watching you and listening to you. Um, so I want to get to that, but I also wondered if you can just sort of take us through that moment in your own practice when you sort of determined that you needed to be speaking about and to us ladies, um, sorry, I'm just moving my, my frame here, um, uh, about about sex and and intimacy and pleasure and pain and all of these things that this patient of yours came into your office and shared with you obviously don't share anything that that um, you know isn't okay with you to share but I've heard you speak about and I th- I th- you shared this in our first call sort of how much it moved you that this woman was really despondent about feeling like she just didn't want to have sex with her husband anymore I believe she was married and um, so I just feel like it's kind of a backdrop to tonight's call and if you could just walk us through that I'd be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's powerful enough that it changed the trajectory of my life, right. Her story. And I think we all, you know, humans love stories and it's just such a good place to start of like, maybe people see me now as this sex expert and, you know, international podcaster. I hit the charts in Japan and Turkey today, which I've never, I've never hit the charts in Japan before. So that's that's so cool. Yeah. But, um, I was just doing my thing, you know, being a married surgeon mom, you know, kind of bored, um, not like, you know, you can get bored at any job you do it long enough. Right. So I was like seven years into my career, seven year itch. And I had known this woman for a solid five years. So I had a very good relationship with her. Right. This wasn't just some person coming in and crying. Like this was somebody I'm very bonded with Mm -hmm. because I had been through her through a very severe, significant cancer surgery. And I did the surgery. Okay. I was already very bonded with her and I'd never seen her like this, but we we got made it through cancer. Right. Never seen her like this before. And just this light bulb went off of like, what am I doing spending all of my life giving Viagra to all the penis owners? Yeah. If this is what the penis owners are living with, right? Like who's taking care of them? And I just, all these questions started coming up of like, I was, you know, raised, I was a baby surgeon raised in that women are complicated and it's too difficult to figure out and we'll probably never figure it out. And that's really what I was taught. And I believed it because these were my leaders, right? These were my professors. And so like, I just started, I'm like, is it true? Is it true that nobody knows? And it turns out there's a ton of research out there. I mean, certainly we can have more research out there, but like there's a decent amount of research out there that's been around for a very long time. And it just doesn't permeate our culture. 
Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Whether that's it's not permeating through sex education, or it's not permeating through the medical education, it's certainly not permeating through popular media, that there's actually we have tons of data on this. And, you know, you, you just say the same thing over and over and over in clinic once you learn all of it. And I'm like, I can't change the world by having people come to see me in clinic and me spending 10 minutes with them and being like, responsive desire is normal. It's not bad. Your clitoris is the most important thing. You need to find it. Communication right. is everything. Go learn. Right. Like, so it's like, you, I cannot help somebody in 10 minutes. It's too right. big. And, and these people, you know, people who come in who feel broken, they spend 50 years like this. Right. So they get like all of my energy in 10 minutes is like, no, no, no you got to go home and like digest all of this right. stuff. So that's where the podcast and the book and the Instagram kind of came from is like, go digest it on your own time. Like fact check me. Right. Yeah. yeah. But like if you've got 40 years of shame, poor communication and shitty sex, and then you come to see me for 10 minutes, like I can be a little overwhelming because I have so <laughs> much information. So that's why I wanted to like pack it in to the book and the podcast and the Instagram. Cause it's like, I'm too, I'm, I'm actually too much for 10 minutes. Well, you're certainly a, a door that gets blown wide open. And, and you're right that, that I think, you know, people then have to sort of step back and process. It's a lot. And in, in the questions tonight, you know, as I was going through them, I sort of concluded at the end, you know, a lot of this is about really what we've learned collectively, men and women, uh, about sex and pleasure. And, um, and, and so, yeah, so, so 10 minutes in your office wouldn't at all be enough. Having conversation is, is just sort of starting, I think, for a lot of women, meaning, you know, talking to their friends, talking to their doctor, talking to a therapist, sort of finding a niche like this one that can help to open things up for them. Um, but it's hard and it's scary and it's threatening. And, you know, that's really, yeah, but I would take that. I'd, I'd say, I'd say the opposite. It's fascinating. It's exciting. And it'll blow your mind. Yes, like absolutely. Because, because this is what women get told. Women get told like, Oh, it's hard and it's scary and it's yeah. intimidating. And Oh, you know, but it's like, screw that yeah. this, will, this shit will change your life yeah yeah be open to be yeah. open to it no that's true it, the 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 point from the fear and the anxiety and the worry about it to sort of letting the everything blow wide open is really something it's that's like an amazing place. oh it's so fun like you no, I, yeah. I, and I mean i hear the i hear the stories all the time yeah. right? like i know because women are like i don't know if that's for me and i'm like you know how many women had like sexless relationships and now they're like confident they're better at work like they know what they want and how to get it like literally i think sexual health is the final like personal growth transformation okay, because so let, you me, let me ask you right there that is so interesting so you are seeing and hearing from women that sort of making this shift getting in touch with themselves sexually, sort of finding sexual health and pleasure for themselves is impacting all other parts of their lives. hundred percent. Oh, tell us, tell us more. Well, it's all that, I mean, it's, it's really, everybody's sitting here with in low sex drives and they don't really want sex and they, it's never been for them. They've never prioritized themselves and they want to be there wherever there is like the Hollywood music, you know, hot, hot, hot. What you don't realize is there's no there there. This is a personal growth journey. This is accepting your body, not being ashamed of who you are, learning how to communicate your needs and your demands with your partner, being a good listener in return. Like the personal growth that comes with being an empowered, sexually confident woman changes your whole life because you use those skills everywhere. Yes, I love that. So with that, because I'm actually thinking of one of the questions that, that came through, um, and I think you spoke about this recently, was um, sexual feedback and not taking sexual feedback as criticism. And I'm not certain if this person was speaking of receiving feedback 
or giving feedback. But if you might respond to both, that would be great. Yeah, it's uh, an individual example certainly would be nice if, if you had one, but because it's just I'm speaking in generalities, yeah. but it's like learning how to communicate about anything in a partnership. We don't get taught that. Right. Like we're hot and heavy. You get married and then you realize you can't you've never had a good conversation about anything with that person. And now you're going to bring sex into it. Right. But it's really like being a good listener means being nonjudgmental, just Mm -hmm. letting the person share what's on their mind and not being defensive, not blaming kind of all of those things. Like it's just good. It's a good skill to have no matter if we're talking about sex or not. Sure. Yeah. Women have this women have this unique skill of taking everything personally. Mm. And it's like once you figure out like, oh, I actually don't have to take anything personally. That's just like yeah. I've just been trained to like try to be perfect or try to not yeah. piss anybody off. Like yeah. it's more of that personal growth, right? Of like, stop taking everything personally. Like there's literally no upside to that. Mm-hmm. I see this a lot where like erectile dysfunction, women will take it personally. It's like, that's a lot of times either what's going on in his head or a medical condition, right? It has no, no bearing on your worthiness of, as a partner or your attractiveness or anything. And if you take it on personally like that, you tend to want to withdraw instead of communicate. Yeah. So again, like all of this, and you know, sex is just one example of all of this stuff. And like at work, when you have criticism, don't take it personally. That's just that person sharing. You can be a good listener can learn something from it. But yeah, it's not specific to sex. Right. So it's sort of, it's a little bit of an unplugging, I think, from your ego around having conversation around anything, but in in this case, sex, would that be fair? Yeah, I love that. I love that. Whenever we can, we can awake and become more conscious. Yes. You know, it's, it's usually and a good the thing. ego really has to take a back seat when that happens. Well, the ego's an asshole. Yes, oh, the ego always is. An <laughs> okay, all right. I got this. There's this. I forget her name. She's awesome. She says this, she. I got this hat from her, and it says, "My ego is not my amigo." Yes. <laughs> it's so Perfect. good. It's so true. It gets in the way of everything. Okay. It gets in the way. It um, certainly gets in the way of love. Yes, it absolutely does. That and intimacy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Totally. And curiosity. Yes. All important things. Okay. Um, I'm going back to question one now that I have. Okay. This person asks, uh, your position on testosterone for libido and your thoughts on differing methods of delivery. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming they're talking about women. And this testosterone. Was this was a woman asking. This. A woman asking about woman. Okay. Um, yeah, there's there's international guidelines on it. It's it's a thing. Um, what's my position? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Pro. You are pro. <laughs> Isn't that a complicated question? I know. I know it is. And and I, if you could actually, because we talked about this last time, the importance of t- testosterone for women as as well, and. Maybe, I don't know if that helps, excuse me, helps to kind of get at the question, but I remember you're explaining that estrogen and testosterone and progesterone, is that right? Or or sort of like the heavy hitters and everything's kind of in flux and, and, and depleting and, and testosterone is just one of those things that will impact libido. They they all Yeah. Well, they all, they all do, but testosterone's really the like spontaneous desire libido hormone. Okay. Estrogen's more the receptive one. Again, I'm stereotyping hormones, which is not very nice, but you know, it depends upon, you know, I always have to, I don't always know where my audience is in knowledge, sure. right? Like a lot of people don't even know that women have testosterone in their bodies. So like yes, we, we learned that start, last time speaking with you. Yeah. We have to like start all the way back there. Right. In our twenties, we have more testosterone than estrogen in our bodies. Yes. Women, um, XX women. Yes. Um, so we just get stereotyped. Testosterone is just stereotyped as the male hormone, and estrogen is stereotyped as the female hormone because it's simpler. But so you gotta, you have to start there. You have to realize we actually have a very decent amount of testosterone. It's important in heart health, bone health, stamina, muscle endurance, uh, libido. 
uh, acne. So <laughs> it's important yeah. in acne. So yeah. Um, yeah, women need to start there in understanding just otherwise they're like, why are you trying to give me this male hormone? Right. Yep. Um, it's just that men, XY men um, have 10 times the amount of testosterone than women, but that doesn't mean women have zero. Right. Women still have more testosterone than estrogen. Right. Yeah, which is the stereotypical you know, female hormone. Yeah. So yeah, you got to start there. And then you need to realize that ovaries make testosterone and adrenal glands make testosterone. So when the ovaries are, have low enough estrogen that you stop your periods after one year, that's called menopause. You're still making testosterone. It's more of a slower slide down, but really about 10 years after menopause, then your testosterone is very down. Um, but everybody's has a different testosterone responsiveness, right? Like I might really feel good at a testosterone of 40 and you might have great libido and your testosterone is 20. So you can't say, Hey doc, will you measure my testosterone to see if I have low libido? That's not how it works. Okay. They don't, and they don't advocate doing that. Okay. But if there is a reason to give a perimenopause or postmenopause woman testosterone, it is for low libido. There's fantastic data. There's international guidelines. I think I have it now on my link tree on my Instagram, the paper, so you can print it out and bring it to your doctor. Because I have to tell you, a lot of doctors are not savvy on testosterone or low libido. Yeah. Now, my caveat with hormones is hormones are one part of the uh, one part of the pie, right? If you, you can supplement to a wonderful testosterone level, and if you've got shame and relationship issues, and you don't know where the clitoris is, and you're prioritizing penetrative intercourse instead of what turns a woman on, you know, testosterone's not a miracle. Right. Right. So I, I, that's my, always my caveat is sex is biopsychosocial. It's all, there's always, it's a three-legged stool and testosterone's the bio part of it. I love that. And I think that's so important to remind people all the time, because I think you're right. Whatever, whatever we're talking about in terms of health and wellness and sort of boosting and bettering or improving or sort of getting to where we want to be, we tend to look at one thing as being the thing that we're missing. And if we're Americans, we want quick fixes. We, do. we don't want to deal with learning how to communicate. We don't want to deal right. with having a conversation with our partner about my sex life is actually shitty. I'm glad you're enjoying your 50% of it. Right. But like you can't just throw testosterone into the mix and like have it be great. But for people who really have a noticed a decrease in their libido, you know, during the perimenopause, postmenopause change, testosterone can make them feel really whole again. It's like, so it's fantastic. So for this person, I believe that she really is struggling with little to no libido and she's familiar enough with it that she's wanting to take steps to, to try it because she has asked before about differing methods and if there's something that, that you prefer. Yeah, or not. I do. I prefer an FDA approved product. Just say no to compounding. Just say no to pellets. They're number one, they're expensive. If you want to be on testosterone, expect to be on it for like 30 years, right? How long are we in menopause right. for these days? 30 years. Yeah. So get something that's sustainable. An FDA approved product dosed at a female level, which is one tenth the male dose is dirt cheap. Okay. You can get it in little, little tubes. Okay. Um, it's FDA approved. You know what you're getting? It's standardized. Don't expect insurance to pay for it. It's a, it's a sexual health diagnosis. Most won't, but it's still pennies on the dollar compared to, you know, compounded testosterone injections or pellets, which we know we have great data, compounded testosterone pellets uh, and injections have more side effects, more safety concerns than the FDA approved product. So I'm pretty strong on that. I think people who do injections and pellets are making money off of women. Um, and I, I choose to make my money other ways. Okay. Um, the next question, thank you for that. The next question sort of relates to what you just talked about. This person asked, can I fix my low libido with hormones? Again, the question was left at that. Um, but you, you so just- So much to unpack. So much to unpack. And, and I don't want to get you stuck in the minutia of anything, but I suspect at least one of the answers to that is what you just brought up that sex is biological, psychological, and social. Um, so wherever you want to take the answer, please do. Yeah, I mean, this is where my life coach brain kicks in, right? If this person was here, I'd be like, why do you think your low libido is a problem? Mm. 
Can you talk about that a little more? I think that's really freeing for a lot of people to be asked. Well, think about it. Think about it. I mean, this is a great topic and people, people don't know what they don't know. And I just think people love listening to this, but it's like in any relationship, there's two different levels of anything. I like this much wine. You like red wine. I like pizza. You like, you know, Mexican food, whatever there is. And it's a constant kind of negotiation of what are we going to eat tonight? Where are we going to go on vacation? What time do we go to bed? All that. And amount of sex in a relationship is just that like, Hey, what works for the relationship? Cause if you're just going around eating Mexican food every single night, cause your partner likes it, you're going to actually be disdainful for Mexican food. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're like, Hey, you know, you can have some Mexican food on your own time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Doesn't have to be me. And so right. the biggest myth is that the person with the low libido, it's their job and they're broken and they need to raise their libido up to match the higher libido person. Now, stereotypically, women is, women are the low libido, but in about one third of cases, the man is the low libido. If we're talking heterosexual, but even, you know, homosexual relationships, somebody's got the bigger libido. Right. Sure. Right. So it's not just a male female split there. Mm -hmm. um, so very normalizing to say for the low libido, like, why is it your, why is it your problem that you only want to eat Mexican food once a, right. once a week? Right. I just, you got to take the shame off of the low libido person. You know, I'm wondering, as you're saying this for the person who might ask you about who, who would ask you this question, you would say, you know, why is that a problem? Sort of get to this issue of shame. And, and they said to you, well, I really just want to be having sex more. Do you continue to unpack it then or, and sort of address it uh, hormonally or do you, do you need to really get to. Yeah. I mean, hormones else? don't make you have sex more. <laughs> right. He's like, uh, can I just take something that'll make me exercise more? That'd be great. Right. Yeah. Yes. Got it. Right. Right. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. So really, I mean, you know, what, what all of this is, is people's lack of sex education, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not your fault. You think a supplement's going to make you have sex more, but that's not how it works. Right. Like, like you, you want to have sex more, go have sex more. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the, the, the other thing, now that I, I'm glad I know you now, we get to be a little sassy, but it's really important for people to know spontaneous desire versus responsive desire, right? And responsive desire is like, I'm busy and I'm not actively seeking out sex, but like when I have sex, it's really great. That, that's totally normal. We can't, we don't fix that. Mm -hmm. stereotypically in our society we're told that spontaneous sex drive is the default look at the music we listen to yeah. in this country movies. look at the movies we watch right yeah. i just watched as i literally this week just watched top gun again like the og top gun and i'm yeah. like there's so much freaking sexual tension in this movie it's the it's entire just, movie I'm is like, sexual like i think top gun's erotica for me at, at this point <laughs> I do. I've said the same thing. It is so like Tom Cruise's butt in, in yeah. Top Gun is unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it brings up a really good point of like the brain has to be engaged. You can't be like, hey, let's just go have sex and start touching the pelvis. And like some people get turned on that way, but you've got to get the brain involved. Right. Right. And you got to get like interested in sexual context and like getting rid of that stress, at least momentarily in your life. Because when we're living in that cortisol, sympathetic nervous system, what's happening tomorrow? What happened yesterday? Your brain is not in the context for sex. Mm -hmm. And it's just learning about like, that's why it's all so important to learn about all those things. Cause otherwise you're like, I just want something to make me have sex more. And you're like, why do you want to be the backseat driver in your own sex life? Right. Yes. Well, I love that. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, Everybody go watch Top Gun. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's a wild movie. It's, if you haven't seen it in a while, you should really It's watch so it. good. Oh my it's God. Very, it's, it's, it is good. Um, <laughs> it's good. It's super entertaining. Okay. Pleasure. Um, this person, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure also was responding to some, you know, much of what you talk about um, that, because she said, you know, it's, you mention 
it's never been wrong. It's not gross. It's not bad. There's this misuse and misunderstanding around the, the, the notion of pleasure. Um, can you speak about this larger concept of pleasure? And um, really, I, you're touching on it right now, really, is, is how much has it fed our internal narrative and understanding around giving and receiving it? Um, so if you could start there, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think people who are socialized as women in our society you know, there's just like, I don't know if it's spoken or unspoken, but it's like, you come last, you know, take care of the kids, take care of the spouse, take care of the work, take care of your mom, take care of the blah, blah, blah. You come last. And then we're like, I don't really know how to like have sex for pleasure. And it's like, do you know how to do anything for your own pleasure? Mm -hmm. Right. And sex is just one piece of enjoying being a human in a body on earth. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and that's again, why sex is such a, like a mind blowing topic, because you're like, experience the gift that it is to be a human on earth. Oh, I love that. And like, oh my gosh, like going on a walk in the woods, having an amazing cup of coffee, listening to beautiful music, right? Looking at Tom Cruise's butt and Top Gun. But- <laughs> <laughs> But it's like, there's pleasure all around us and yeah. we've shut it down because of this stinking modern life that we live, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So it's like, sex is just one part. But if you, if you have no other pleasure in your life, there's this great exercise and they were like, okay, write down 10 things that you want. And people write down 10 things that they want. And they said, okay, well, of that list, how many of those things do you currently have? And the majority of people write down things they don't have instead of wanting what you do have. Got and to it. me, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's like we have pleasure all around us. We have stuff to enjoy all around us, and we completely forget about it. We always think there's a there there. Yeah, we always do. And, and, and so really sort of shifting that mindset around what you have, what you want, what you need, what you desire is sort of at the crux of pleasure. Yeah. I mean, the whole concept of like, why do you think you don't deserve pleasure? Like dive into that. You'll, you'll figure something out about yourself. (laughs) You find find with, with patients that you see that there are a fair amount of women I'm speaking of, um, who are really sort of at a loss around pleasure. Oh yeah. Of all ages or specifically perimenopausal, menopausal, postmenopausal women? I think all ages. Really? Yeah, I think it's society. I think it's the way we're trained. Okay. That's so interesting. That must be so sad, too. I mean, not all the time. You know, it's. Well, it's real. I think it's ridiculous. (laughs) It is ridiculous. But but it is. It's like, what don't you like? Do everything for pleasure. If you make your job pleasure and your kids pleasure and your husband pleasure and exercise pleasure and sleep's pleasure and showering's pleasure and coffee's pleasure, you're like, oh my God, your life could all be pleasure. Yes. What an intensely satisfying life you could have. And you, and you, it's all, you already have all those things. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, this was, I thought really interesting. Um, and a big deal for a lot of people. How do I approach a conversation about sex with my partner? She went on to say, it is really hard for me to get into this. I don't know if it's shame or embarrassment, but part of it is my issue. Part of it is my husband. He really has a hard time hearing anything about sex. He thinks everything is fine and should be left well enough alone. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I guess good to know. And, and I think the other thing is like, does she actually know that or is she assuming that about him? Right. If you've never actually talked to him about it, how do you know? Yeah, that's a good so let's, I always want, let's always clear up our assumptions about other people, unless they've told us that you're assuming. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, that's always our first step. Number, number two is like her self-awareness is great. Right. Like she's realized, Hey, I've got some shame stuff. Right. I'm kind of nervous about this. Like it's great self-awareness and to include that in your conversation really opens up vulnerability and intimacy 
and keep in mind everybody thinks like intimacy is in between the sheets but like yeah. intimacy is talking to your partner yeah. about sex yeah like, that's I'm so incre- glad you pointed that up. that's really important for everyone to be reminded of it's it's not what happens in between the sheets it's all the other stuff yeah. it's being it's being held and holding space no it don't be i mean being held physically is nice but yeah. like being held like you're in a space with this other person and you're not sharing that space with anybody else mm-hmm. right it's a, it's an incredible intimacy in these conversations mm-hmm. but we just think it's all sex Right. And it's like, no, showing vulnerability, being a good listener, knowing you're not, there's 7 billion people on this earth and you want to have this conversation with this one person. It's incredibly mm-hmm. intimate, mm-hmm. right? I just, it's, it's so beautiful and important. Um, and that's where a lot of people get, they're like, oh my gosh, I've been in this marriage for 20 years and well, it's I'm realizing how bad it is, mm. right? If she's kind of like, this is going to take more than one conversation, but admitting to her partner too, of like, Hey, I'm kind of nervous about this. I'm really afraid you might reject me. Like just being very truthful and vulnerable really brings in an ability for somebody else to be of help and to realize sex issues are a team problem. That's a big, there's not a one, one person's broken. The other person's perfect. Yeah. Like that's ridiculous. And I see that again, stereotypically, the guy's like, she's broken. She needs to be fixed. And I'm like, you listen to yourself, buddy. Why don't you become somebody who, you know, she wants to sleep with. Right. <laughs> right. Do you see couples in your practice? Yeah. I mean, they'll, yeah. yeah, they'll come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. and, and again, I'm stereotyping. Most guys are incredibly interested and heartfelt and they want to know and they want to make sure it's interesting like most guys i give, give them the benefit of the doubt yeah but, you, you know if there's a if there's a guy who's truly a jackass about it that's super good to know yeah it is super good right? to know and it informs and you get a lot to make a decision. about your relationship and you had said that last time we spoke that you know for the most part and we were speaking about heterosexual sex so i i just want to um highlight that again, but you said, you know, most guys really want you to feel good. And so if you are hesitating about bringing up sex outside of the bedroom, um, remember that, that he more than likely wants you to feel good. This isn't probably a selfish thing for him. So that was, that was important to, to have brought up. Yeah. And, and always addressing it as a, we, or an, I, not a, you, right. Yeah. Like, and that's the language to be using to broach it with your partner. Yeah. Um, okay. Can you speak to this myth once and for all about the best thing to fix a vagina is a penis? Oh <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I got so, yeah. Oh God. I had this podcast the other week and it like, it was, it was a very well-received podcast, but I kept seeing over and over, like, stay sexually active. You should be sexually active. It's healthy for your vagina. It's healthy for your vagina. And I'm like, where the hell is this data for health? This is healthy for your vagina coming from. Mm. And so then I like went into, you know, the research articles and I'm like, do we have a randomized control trial showing that somebody who has, you know, sex, you know, do we have any data? Right. We, right. we don't. We, we have expert opinion, which should be taken with a grain of salt since most of those experts are men. And sure. Mm-hmm. And we do have one study, and this was a gynecology study, and they looked at uh, perimenopause, early menopause women. And they said, well, these, this group is sexually active and this group isn't. Let's look at their vulvas and vaginas. And they found that the sexually active group had less atrophy than the non-sexually active group. Their conclusion was roughly sex prevents atrophy, which if you know anything about research or science, you can't make that conclusion from the study. Okay. Maybe the women who have less atrophy stayed sexually active because it hurt less. Okay. Right? So we have no prevention data there whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Now, there's something to like, you know, the more you exercise, the easier it is to exercise. Right. The easier and we, we have some data that says, hey, the easier it is for you to have an orgasm and be aroused, the easier it is for you to have an orgasm and be aroused. Right. right? <laughs> right. So there's, 
there's some yeah. inherent, you know, use it or lose it yes. trivia there, which I think is legitimate. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. telling a woman that she has to put something in her vagina for her vaginal health is pretty much bullshit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was what you were asking. No, that no, it absolutely is. I think I think she was wanting you to speak about this idea that if you are not inserting a penis into your vagina, that um, you know that there's no other way to sort of achieve joy, you know, a, a, a happy, healthy sex life, and a happy, healthy vagina. I mean, two problems with that, at at least two problems with that. Number one, the heteronormativity of it. Sure. Right. Because what do lesbians who don't have penetrative sex just have like unhealthy vaginas? No. Right. And so the number one, the patriarchy, number two is like, well, do nuns who don't have sex at all, do they have unhealthy vaginas? Right. Right. Like once you sort of break it down, you realize it's a ridiculous thing. It gets absurd really quickly. It gets absurd very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Next question. Vaginal atrophy. This woman asks, uh, states, I have no interest in sex. It hurts and I'm stressed. I'm told to take testosterone and I guess I can try it, but I'm also really not into it. I think she meant not into taking the testosterone, but I'm not sure. I remember you're saying that it's uh, oh, you, we just said this, that it's important to sort of use it or lose it. What do I do? Uh, well, if your thumb hurts when you hit it with a hammer, you're not going to want to hit it with a hammer anymore. <laughs> right. And so you always have to take care of the pain yeah. first. Yeah. And I think you just, you get into a death spiral when you're like trying to have sex because you think it's healthy for you, but you're in pain. Yeah. Um, I hear you say this a lot and I'm so grateful for it because you really make it very bare bones. If something hurts, you don't want to do it. And so, so many women are walking around with this, this idea, this, this attachment, uh, you know, the sort of, uh, attachment to all the things that we think women should be doing and sort of how they exist in partnership with someone sexually. And there's a lot of guilt that they're walking around with. And the truth is, if they're hurting, why would they want to have sex? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's so once you talk, that's the thing, we don't talk about it, right? Once you talk about it, it makes perfect sense to 100% of people that you don't want to, you don't desire things that are painful. Right. But it's just that additional layer. Right. Because women are like, I have pain and no desire. And I'm like, no, you don't. You just have pain. Yeah. Like you never desire anything that's painful. Mm. And so it's like the taking the extra, I call them like the extra 10 pounds of bricks in your backpack. Right. It's like take off the additional problem of no desire. Yeah. Because you can't even try. And that's again, you know, going back to the beginning of like where this whole just take some testosterone comes from and why it is bad advice when sex is complicated and libido is complicated. Like you can't just give a woman with pain with sex testosterone so she can like desire pain with sex. It doesn't work that way. Right. 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 And so to to me, you got to fix the pain first. That's, you know, a physical therapist, sex therapist, very helpful with the fear and the guilt and, and the avoidance and all the things that come with pain with sex. Right. So it's number one, it's hormones. Cause if we're talking about perimenopause, postmenopause, vaginal atrophy, hormones, 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 stop telling women just to use lube. They need hormones. Number two is sex therapy. Number three is physical therapy. So again, three-legged stool for pain with sex. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was interesting too, cause she commented it hurts and I'm stressed. And I thought, is she stressed about the pain of sex? She's stressed about sort of maybe pressure she's feeling to everything, right? It's all stressful. It's all stressful. Okay. It's all stressful. Um, well, I mean, and, and, you know, pain neuroscience, right? What, what makes pain worse? Stress. Yeah. Yeah. Fear. Fear really makes pain worse. Yeah. I don't think we talk about that enough. You probably do. Fear is a big piece of this. You know, the fear, anxiety, 
that's that alone is going to make you not want to have sex orgasms do not live in the in the camp of pain and fear no no um okay i'm moving on to the next i'm not sure if my libido is hormonally induced or not what if i'm just bored with my partner yes preach it woman can can you talk about you're probably if you're wondering if you're bored (laughs) it's a good sign that you're bored yeah okay okay so so she's asking you this what what do you say to this try try not being bored see what happens (laughs) and what does that look like Whatever you want. I mean, I always say I'm not in the business of telling people how to have sex. Yeah. There's plenty of people who are actually in that business. Yeah. But, um, you know, prioritizing your pleasure, switching it up, even like by 5%, you know, pick a different room, pick a different location, pick a different position, pick a different amount of like erotica beforehand, pick a different piece of clothing. Like just people are like, I got to buy something or do something crazy kinky. It's like, no, just our brain, this is how brains work. Sex is all about brains, you guys. Our brains love novelty. And if we don't have novelty, our brains get bored. That's like how we stayed alive, right? Because we're like, got to find the food, got to find the mates, got to find the novel things. It's dopamine, right? And so if we're not releasing dopamine by seeking out novelty or getting a reward like novelty or an orgasm, you get bored. The brain's like, whatever. Yes. Yeah. So two pieces of it. Number one is like, you could just, you could try hormones if they're appropriate for you, ask your doctor, or you could try to not be bored or you you could do both. Yeah. You could do both. Interesting. Okay. But I mean, stereotypically, again, sex is fraught with stereotypes and I apologize, but stereotypically the man can have the same sort of sex day in and day out for 45 years and be fine. Mm -hmm. The woman, she's bored, man. She's so stinking bored. You know something? We talked about this a little bit when we first spoke too. And I believe we sort of got into it a little bit, not not you and I, but we got sort of further into the conversation about that, that men can kind of just keep going and going however it looks day in and day out, and they're good. But the message that we receive and have received over time says the opposite is true, that it's the woman who sort of, she's good with with the same day in, day out. And, and then she gets to a point where she doesn't want to do it anymore. And then that's the end of it. But you said last time that that is just not, the case at all that women are really the ones who are wanting novelty i don't remember exactly how you phrased it but you're saying it again so i wonder if you could expand a little bit yeah well and no disrespect to women who are like bread and butter i'll take it this way for 40 years no, no problem like we're everybody's on a continuum right and like genders overlap and, you know, all the things. So, you know, we stereotype and then we have to step back and be like, sorry, we stereotype. We don't mean everybody. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of women think they have low libido, but they're just not enjoying the sex that they're having. And you do not desire things that aren't giving you dopamine. Mm-hmm. Like an amazing, we'll use orgasm as a proxy for achieving pleasure, but we don't have to, but let's do that. An orgasm gives us amazing dopamine and oxytocin. And then our brain's like, hey, that was rewarding. Let me try to see if I can do that again. Right. That was fun. Right. But if you're going into sex and you're not having fun or you're doing it just to appease your partner or you're doing it, you know, just so that he doesn't get on your back about your sex life, all these very common and not talked about problems that have, again, stereotypically in heterosexual relationships. And then she thinks she's the problem because she doesn't have a libido. And it's like, well, you're not giving your brain any dopamine to, to be rewarded with. You're having shitty sex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a couple problem. That's not a he problem. It's not a she problem. That's a couple problem. It's like you got to untangle this knot you got into. You have to untangle the knot you got into. 
You know, see, this is why when I sort of looked over all of the questions that came in, I kind of concluded this is around, this is about stress. This is really about what you said in the beginning, which is communication. You know, the two people coming together for any reason, at any duration, you know, for any duration of time, there's going to be stuff to work through. Certainly so in a romantic union. Um, and I think what I, what I was hearing sort of over and over again is I'm from some women, I'm not even sure what my needs are because of whatever. And so I hear you sort of hat like saying kind of repeatedly, you got to get through, you got to get through the muck. And this is, the, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is why like sex, people are like, I just want to have a great sex life. And it's like, well, there's work to be done. Yeah. Right. And there's another myth is like sex life should just be easy. And oh, we should be entitled to them also. Mm. Right. And if you look at the people who are truly like they've done research on this, who are the sexually satisfied people who are having amazing sex, they weren't born that way. Right. It's a skill. We stereotype it that it should just be easy. It should never be a problem. We should never have an issue. We should certainly never talk about it. Um, but all of this, again, it, how we're socialized, how we're ill-prepared for long-term relationships. Um, and we're just not taught about it. But people come in and they're like, well, can I just take testosterone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so that's why it's like, dude, I can tell you about all the meds. There's great meds out there now, more than there ever have been for low libido. But if you don't clean out the cobwebs of what's actually going on, you're going to be a quote unquote med failure. And then you're just going to add more guilt onto yourself to be like, oh, the meds didn't work either. And it's like, well, because you're trying to solve for something that's not a medication problem. I hope people hear this. This is a really important big deal. Um, okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, can you talk about starting hormones preemptively or proactively? Should I start now? I'm in my early 40s and I think I've started perimenopause. And not putting you on the spot to give medical advice. Right. But yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm a doctor, I uh, but I don't play one on TV. Right, so right, right. Right. But you have so much to say on when to get started or the, the possibility of when. Yeah. I mean, sorry for taking every question and making it into some big societal problem. No, but like, so what I think that's so important. We have to hang on to that because it actually are, it's rooted in that. Yes. I mean, look at what Western medicine does. Western medicine doesn't prevent problems. Western medicine solves problems once they exist. We're very good at that. So we're not great at like, hey, how's your stress? Sleep, uh, sleep well, exercise great. How's your diet? How's your relationships? Have you learned how to communicate yet? Like all that stuff that's like creates a healthy person. Yes. Western medicine is bad at that. Western medicine is like, you got a broken fever. Now you have cancer. Now you have high blood pressure. Well, now you have diabetes. Let's treat it once you have it. Right. So menopause is just another piece of that, of like, why we wait till a woman this is suffering before we then give her hormones, right? Because we're really not in that preventative health mindset for the most part. Again, I'm generalizing Western medicine and I'm, I'm part of that. I am an MD, but I think her question is full on legit. I would love to see a sea change of like, hey, we're 45. What do you think about protecting your bones, your brain, lowering your rate of diabetes, decreasing colon cancer, protecting your heart? Would you, are you interested in that? Why don't you try some hormones? Yeah, I, I have to say, I, I learned all of that from you in our first conversation. I had no idea that hormone replacement therapy was so instrumental and could be so life-changing way earlier. I, I had no idea. And I didn't know all that it did. Go on. I'm sorry. Well, no, I mean, I applaud this, this person who's asking the question. Truthfully, I think the problem is finding a doctor who's on board with that. Mm -hmm. I, I'm clearly on board with it, but you know, that's because I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out why do we wait till the woman has problems before it's like, you go to the dentist twice a year. So you don't have issues with your teeth. You don't wait till your teeth are rotten to try to fix them. Right. <clears throat> 
Yeah. Right. And so, you know, I think hormones are preventative medicine. I really do. And I think in the next 10 years, my hope is that the Gen Xers, because the baby boomers are, they're kind of missing out. They're kind of miss their, their, again, I'm stereotyping, but my hope is the Gen Xers, I mean, they're brilliant women who are in their early fifties that look and feel fine. And I'm like, how do you want to feel when you're 65 and 70? When you start thinking about your life and your longevity, I think that's when you start thinking, Hey, maybe hormones are going to be a good thing for me. If there was something that made men live three to four years longer, don't you think they'd all be on it? Sure. And we have that data women between the ages of 50 and 60 who are on hormones live on average three to four years longer than the women who didn't start hormones. May I ask you just a a quick sidebar and if it's too long, forget it. But, um, when you're talking about hormones in this instance, in terms of longevity and bone protection, heart protection, so on, you are not talking about vaginal estrogen or are you, what are you talking about? I'm talking about systemic hormones, systemic hormones. Okay. I just want to get specific. And in that between the ages, you just said of 50 and 60, those are the years you will sort of reap further benefit. If you start before 50, if you start hormones before 10 years after your last natural period, got it. Okay. Okay. That's kind of the rough guidelines. Now that doesn't fit everybody. Cause what if you had a hysterectomy or a, sure. a, a uterine ablation? What if you don't know when your last period was, sure, right? Sure. So you kind of got to guesstimate and the average age of menopause is 51. Mm-hmm. So if you're 70 and you're saying, can I have hormones? Doctors would say, well, you know, the guidelines don't actually support that. If, if you're super healthy, you know, there's always caveats, but the, the rate of side effects from hormone supplements goes up with age is only if you haven't been on them, right? Your body change. People are like, I don't want to take hormones. I'm like, well, your body will change because of no hormones. Just be aware of that. Mm-hmm. You're doing something by not being on them. Okay. I, I mean, I get a great it. Point. That is such a great point to make. You are, something is happening when you say no to hormones anyway. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, anything else you want to add about hormones at this time or no? They're incredibly safe. You know, again, it's me not, not always knowing where my audience is. They don't cause cancer. Estrogen actually decreases your risk of breast cancer. You want to decrease your risk of breast cancer, stop drinking alcohol. It's, your, it's one of the biggest risks, um, which women don't know about at all. But hormones are incredibly safe for the majority of people. And are there always caveats? Yes, there are. But for the majority of people, they're very safe. Women who are on hormones who get breast cancer die less. So even if you end up getting breast cancer, which breast cancer is very common, doesn't mean the hormones caused it, but you'll actually have a a better longevity uh, experience with the breast cancer. So just to blow everybody's mind, because everybody seems to think that they're, these are cancer causing agents, which they aren't. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, I'm moving us along. Uh, I, I really wanted to ask you this question. You touched on it earlier, but I, I want to give you time to expand. Um, I really appreciate hearing from a medical professional about how myself and presumably all of the rest of us non-medical professionals can best maximize time in your office or in the office of gynecologists or whatever. So So what can we bring into the room that helps? Because like you, you know, we started speaking about this patient that you had sort of shifted your lens about all of this. You had a bond with her. You had a relationship and a history with her. So maybe it was in fact easier for her to open up to you. But also, you know, most of us may go into whichever doctor's office and we've got 10 to 12, 15 minutes in there and then we're not going to be in there for however long. So how can we best maximize what we need from you guys? Yeah, such a great, such a great question. I think I, I'm creating like an ebook for my website with this because I'm like, uh, 
I, I mean, being a doctor, I know how to communicate with doctors, right? So I'm like, oh, there's a huge need for like how to do that. But I think number one, you brought it up is like have a relationship with somebody if you can. Yeah. Right. If you're going in for the first time and you're like, I'd like testosterone for my libido. <laughs> like you might want to <laughs> warm up to that conversation. Right. right. Okay. Um, number two, I see people, I see women do this all the time when they come see me. They want to tell me this crazy story about their cousin and their mailman and their cat. Mm. And like, I don't know what that's about. I don't know <laughs> if that's like people being nervous or people wanting to like share a story about something, but it's like, this is your time. What bothers you? What are you thinking? What do you think you want to do? Don't waste it telling me your story about your uncle in Tulsa. Okay. But I see women do it all the time. And I don't know what's underneath that. Men don't do it. Men don't come and see me. And they're like, well, I've got this cousin in Wisconsin. Let me tell you about him. No, no, no. Men are very direct. They're like, I'm here for my prostate. I can't pee well, doc. What do you got? Okay. Right. So it's like, this is your time. And is, is that women like not prior? I don't know what that is, but that would be my first, like, know what you're there for, know what questions you want to get asked. You know, you've done a lot of research if you're listening to this. So, you know, you need vaginal estrogen. If you don't want sex to be painful, you know, after a certain age, you know, that hormones might be a great option for you. So you've already done some research. Um, and if a doctor says no, say, Hey, well, I'm just curious. Why not? But in a very like, again, this is a team. This is not you versus them. This is a team. You're curious if you, you know, are come, I have to tell you this, but if you are confrontational, if it's, you know, anger is, is what's underlying things, it's not going to go as well as like, I'm super curious why you would say that. What's your experience about that? Okay. Right. It's, it's like being a great communicator, being a good listener. But I see a lot of women will be like, yeah, they stopped my hormones. And I'm like, why? Mm. And they're like, well, I don't know. I didn't ask. And I'm like, you got to ask, like, understand this is your body and nobody ultimately cares more than you do. I saw this woman, she's like fit, smart, very attractive, 60. And I'm like, have you thought about hormones? And she's like, has, she has all these preconceived things about it. And I'm like, listen, at the end of the day, I don't care about your body having hormones more than you do. Right. Right. So, so well I'll, dro I'll drop it. But yeah. like nobody will care more than you. You are the one walking around in this body. Yeah. So don't yeah. waste your time with your doctor talking about your cousin in Wisconsin. Okay. <laughs> okay. I want to squeeze this last question in. I know we're, we're, we're at the hour mark. Um, someone just asked what you think about bioidentical hormones. Yep. It's another one we got to dig under. Bioidentical hormones are fine. Why are people even asking this? This is why they're asking this because they don't know what it means. Okay. So what happened was we took everybody off of hormones. Women were desperate. So they started going out and getting these compounded things by these, you know, quote unquote, functional medicine people or what, whatever. Yeah. Some people decided to help women, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Calling something bioidentical is a marketing term. There are FDA approved products that are covered by insurance that are bioidentical. Estradiol is bioidentical. Testosterone is bioidentical. Micronized progesterone is bioidentical, right? So for me to be like, yeah, whatever, bioidentical, because I just know it's meaningless. But it's like taking a candy bar and putting natural on it. People are like, this is a, such a better candy bar uh, now. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really one and the same. And you're like, well, what's the natural mean on the candy bar? And you're like, oh, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But, but I just want to highlight what you're saying about being FDA and insurance covered, <clears throat> excuse me, and this kind of thing. These are really important things. And whatever you choose to do is, is absolutely your, your decision. But I think that is something that you kind of liken back to harken back to quite a bit you know that that well a lot of people who yeah a lot of people who ask the bioidentical question they don't actually know what they're asking like because i think a lot of people think bioidentical means it's safer i can tell you for a fact they do i knew someone years ago who went to someone i don't know who i i'm sure it wasn't an md and she said she was taking bioidentical hormones and then she said that they really screw, it screwed up her adrenals and she was getting off of everything and everything was terrible. And I felt for her because she was really suffering, you know, to begin with. 
And then she had this experience taking, I don't know what, thinking that she was doing something natural. Right? I know she was eating the, she was eating the natural candy bar and it still yeah. hurt her. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, and that's, that's the thing about people are, they think it's safer or they think like it's healthier and now there's, it's nuanced. There are some hormones that, you know, uh, the medroxy progesterone acetate, for example, is an older form of progesterone used in the women's health initiative study that we don't use anymore. Okay. Right. So like, it's a little bit nuanced of like, yeah, of course, we're going to give you the micronized progesterone one because we actually think it is a little bit safer. But again, that's more nuanced. What most people are asking is, well, I know hormones aren't safe, but are the bioidentical ones safe is usually what people are trying to feel out with that. And it's like, why don't, why wouldn't you use the FDA approved, but they're bioidentical. We just don't throw that on the label on a prescription. Okay. Okay. I think that clarifies. Yeah. I love bioidentical hormones and I love natural candy bars, but the, the, (laughs) the word is meaningless. Okay. Thank you. Um, I'm going to wrap this up. I, I, there are a few questions I'm not going to get to, but I would love to know from you, assuming you're speaking to an audience of just absolute fans who aren't in the medical professional industry at all. Um, what would you leave us with? You know, we, we keep sort of touching on this like communication thing, but I'm really, thank you, Leslie, it it did make sense. Um, I'm really sort of interested, maybe it's an umbrella question, you know, what is it you really want women in this case to know about sex and pleasure and vaginal health, sexual health? What is sort of like your, your umbrella point? all of us. Yeah. It's such a good question. And thanks for ending with it. You're in charge. You're in complete charge. It's all on you, which is the best news ever because nobody's going to tell you how to have a great sex life and nobody's going to come by and give it to you and you can't go buy it. Right. And so it's really to change from being a passive consumer of what society told you it should be like. And becoming this kind of introspective, proactive, educated, empowered person who says, maybe my life can be exactly how I want it to be and going and figuring out how to do it. That is the best life you're ever going to live. You know, I have to say, again, going back to this moment you had with this patient, you're really sort of like this accidental um, life changer. And let's I, call I, it guru. Guru sounds way guru, better. Guru's a great word. You really are. And I, I, we're so grateful to speak with you and have, you know, just have your voice out there for us. It really is, it's shifting you're helping women shift mindsets. You're helping men. You're helping all people shift mindsets. And- it is addicting. To me, that's my dopamine because women will be call, they'll be like, I went to my doctor and I got on hormones or I talked to my partner or I blah, blah, whatever it was. Like they did something and their life changed because they did it. And they heard me to be like, hey, go freaking do this. Right. Yeah. But like, I didn't do that for them. They did it. Yeah. And it's like, once you figure out that then you get to do that all over your life. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's amazing. And it's super addictive to be on like this end where it's like, I just get to be your cheerleader of like, instead of being scared, be curious. Yeah. No, I, I, curious is just going to get you so much farther. Yes. You are all of that, the cheerleader. And, but you really are, you're, you're, you're encouraging us to think about something in a different way. And I, I, it's really, it resonates very well. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, it, to me, it's such a fun topic. It's, it's complicated, you guys, like it's legitimately complicated, but we can do hard things, right? It's okay. That's biopsychosocial. It makes it more interesting. Yeah. If it was like an easy topic, I, you know, probably wouldn't spend my lifetime trying to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we are grateful for it. Thank you so much, Dr. Casperson. I love speaking with you. I love chatting with you too. I think we have a pretty good time.
We really do. I, I, I almost wish I could just sit and watch you riff and not ask anything. I just, I love listening to what you have to say and the community thanks you for your time again. Well, thank you for everybody who stuck with us for the whole hour. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I hope, oh, I hope we blew your mind two times. <laughs> <laughs> At least two, maybe two you. times. Thank you so much. And guys, I just want to say, if you have not listened to Dr. Kasperson's podcast, please do. It's phenomenal. It's educational. It's fun. It's, um, it's interesting. It's really, it's impactful. So head over. You are not broken book podcast. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for being here. Take care. Bye-bye.